We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I am your boy, Mike Focci, and I am joined by the raspy one himself, Alex Golden. <laughs> Alex, how's it going? Oh, it's a little rough over here. Um, my voice is fading in and out quite a bit. It's actually stronger right now than it has been all day. But um, like you texted me when I said, I don't know if we should do the show, you said, show must go on. So here we are, Focci, and we got a lot to talk about. It's our weekly show. I want to start things off by talking about the positive news. There's not a whole lot of it, so let's start off there. Karis LeVert returns debut against the Toronto Raptors Saturday. What were your thoughts on his return? My God, Alex, it was short, but he looked spry. He looked ready to go. I mean, in basically 16 first half minutes, he had 15 points. Well, to make it even more impressive, he scored nine of the first 13. So he came Uh out the gates hot. I mean – he was hit. He hit a three. He was getting in the free throw line. He was getting in the paint. He, it just looked like this is a guy who had been itching to play. Just unfortunately, you only got to see it for the first half. Yeah, it was a bit puzzling. He played 15 minutes in the first half. We knew it was going to be a restriction on those minutes. And then Carlisle, after the game, did specify that he didn't want to play him seven minutes in the first half and seven minutes in the second half. He wanted him to play basically the first half or the second half like a normal rotation or normal you know, minutes he would play. So I was okay with it. Um, I thought he looked fantastic. I thought he made this team look so much better. Definitely made life easier for DeMontis Sabonis. I think Sabonis really benefited from Karis LeVert's return more than anybody. 
yep. uh, individually wise, but as a team, you could just see what this team is missing drastically. And that is someone that puts pressure on the defense. They don't have that guy, but if Levert is able to play, you know, two halves this game, I think the Pacers probably get the win. I'm not going to guarantee it, but you know, not having Levert in that second half, you could just see where we were missing something. And I'm curious, Vachi, I put it out on Twitter, but I wanted to know your thoughts. What do you think would have happened if he played the second half instead of the first half? That's, that's very interesting. I mean, I, I think at that point, you got to imagine with other people being a bit more tired and him being as excited or energetic as he was. Oh, true. I mean, he really could have put some pressure on that. I mean, talk about the second half. Alex, the Pacers didn't even attempt a free throw in the second half. Oh. So, I mean, we at least saw uh, Lavert get to the line right in the beginning. I think it would have been great to see him out there. And just to your point before, I think if he does play at least some minutes in the second half, Pacers probably win. We can't say anything's a guarantee, but in a game where it's that close, Pacers lose by three and, and it came down to a last shot. You got to think, you know, we would have been in a little bit of a better position with Lavert. Mm, yeah. I mean, I guess the only thing you could say back to maybe argue that is – how would they have played in the first half? Would the lead have been too big by Toronto after half number one? How would they have looked differently? You know what I'm saying? Like Exactly. It's a good it, way to look at it. We'll yeah. So, I mean, I was just curious because, you know, it'd be nice to have a guy like that closing the game. Yeah, but it really would have. He really set the tone as well to start the game. So, you know, it's just great to see him back on the floor, back healthy. I'm hoping that he's able to start playing the games around 30 minutes a game, 35 minutes a game so we can hopefully right this ship that's been pretty bad to see so far and got to get into this game, even though we didn't have Levert in the second half. Pacers fall to the Raptors in a close game. Really just, once again, the Raptors killed us on the offensive glass, especially down the stretch. Pacers could not get rebounds. Raptors were getting four to five shot attempts and possessions. I mean, just frustrating, especially when you're trying to you know, go back and forth and take this lead. And then I think the one punch that hurt the most, Gary Trent Jr. shot terrible all night. He was like one for 10 at this point. And he hits a three and then another shot. And it's like, are you kidding me? A guy that's been like so cold just gets hot in the clutch. So another frustrating loss for the Pacers, but another close loss. It's just, where do we even start with this team? And that's the, that, I don't want to say that that's the problem, but it makes it hard to gauge. If you look at just their record, yeah, it's not a good team. They're one and six, but this is another close loss, a three-point loss. You lost to Charlotte by one. You lost to Washington by one. I, I mean, it's like they just can't play four quarters worth. In this game, there was a couple things that I thought really dictated the loss. Look, one, you played Toronto better than you did last time. Last time the Pacers lost by 18. This was a three-point game. They held Toronto under 100 this time rather than 118, but the Pacers couldn't score themselves. Uh, 19 turnovers in this game led to 28 Toronto points. You mentioned they were out-rebounded. I mentioned before the Pacers didn't shoot a free throw in the second half, and they shot the Pacers shot 43 threes without really capable three-point shooters. Yeah. So I think that that's a problem is that they're not – I mean, what they might think is good shots is – is maybe they're just settling. I, I don't know if, if that's what you want to use. But, I mean, it was just tough because the way the first half was going, I thought, wow, you know, Rick's made the adjustments. We're playing much better. But we were just limited. I mean, without Brogdon out there, without Levert in the second half, um, then you also saw the bench just kind of kind of shriveled up a bit. I know you tweeted out something about Justin Holiday having 13 three-point attempts. 
Is it just me or does that feel like a lot of threes for Justin Holiday? Well, he only made four. Yeah, he's been pretty bad all year. He's taken 62 shots this season and 40 of 47 of those have been from three Fachi. So a lot. he's only shooting 29.7% too. So really don't know. I mean, maybe he'll start hitting them. I'm not sure. I mean, Justin's a good player. He is. But ever since the injury, he does not look the same. I agree. So it's it's frustrating. I don't think he's a bad player, but I definitely no. think he's a role player. But right now, he's your sixth man. You know what I'm saying? So if he's your sixth man with this roster, then that's that's where you kind of come in trouble because as good as he is, right, as good as he is in his role, he's not a starter. He's not a sixth man. And there's just not a lot of great shooting on this team. Like Duarte has really stepped up that for the Pacers shooting-wise, especially from three. And Jeremy Lamb has been pretty effective. But other than that, I guess Brogdon has been the only consistent three-point shooter. You got streakiness from O'Shea and Torrey Craig and then Miles Turner streaky. Obviously, Sabonis is streaky. He had some interesting shot attempts last night. But all in all, it was just like we talked about all the loose balls that the Raptors got in Wednesday night's game. Yep. It felt like down the stretch, once again, it was the same thing. It was Groundhog's Day all over again. The Raptors were just out hustling us from left from start to finish. And hate to say it, but that Raptors team, man, their their athleticism is a major problem for the Pacers. It really is. They are just pesky. They're lengthy. I mean, even guys like I mean, I know look, we're giving Chris Duarte all the shine, but Scotty Barnes is going to be a really good player. <laughs> he killed the Pacers in both games, 21 and 12 in this game. He had 18 in the last game. Uh, I mean, just poof. OG, you know, he had 15 points. It was good that he didn't score 25. He also took, you know, like eight less shots. So it's like maybe yeah. if he had taken more shots, he could have killed us more. So Svi Mihailuk, I believe I pronounced that right. Mikhailuk. Mikhailuk, hell of a last name. Really <laughs> tough to pronounce. He had a run where he just – I was like eight points in like a minute or two. It, it, it was tough. Yeah. He finishes the game with 16. But just to touch on the streakiness, Torrey Craig, one game after dropping a career-high 28, comes out there, barely even gets minutes, eight and a half minutes, gets one shot up, scores zero points. I mean, we yeah. need a little bit more consistency there. O'Shea. O'Shea was magical against the Heat. 18 points. Big shots. Alex, he scored 11 points in the last four games total. So, yeah. and I'm sorry, Brad Wanamaker, ain't it, ain't it? <laughs> I mean, it's let's, not happening. Let's just stop right there and talk about Wanamaker. I've never seen uh, a fan base hate a third string point guard. This quickly. <laughs> this quickly, as much as a fan base hates Brad Wanamaker. Um, I know. I don't know what other other options are really out there. I put out Jeff Teague. He's an option. Yeah. Uh, I know. He's from here. Yeah, I mean, uh, at least he'll be happy. I mean, well, his career's really gone downhill, but he's a former all-star. Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, though, he didn't really enjoy his time here. Yeah. I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, fans expecting him to give him tickets uh, and people Ooh. close to him yeah. because it's a be hometown. But, you know, uh, there's not a lot of options. Quinn Cook's one that's out there. You know, everybody brought up Yogi Ferrell because former yep. IU guy, but – you know, that's that's not probably going to happen. He's overseas. There's actually a video of Giannis's brother doing a dunk, and Giannis tweeted it, <laughs> and Yogi Ferrell is sitting there, like, getting the heck out of the way from that dunk. So huh. um, it's pretty funny. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Justin Holliday, even though he didn't shoot well, he was still probably, you know, the team was better when he was on the floor. Yes. yes. Uh, plus six, I mean. So, Torrey Craig, man, it's just – it's such an up-and-down roller coaster with him so far this season. Like, career night against the Nets – and goes back to eight minutes. It's like 
this is the kind of guy that you think would make sense against this team, especially with Levert only playing 16 minutes. So uh, I know our friend Mark Monteith, he was hammering that Torrey Craig should be getting Justin Holiday's minutes. And I don't know if he's absolutely, you know, actually wrong in that because Holiday, like you said, has been shooting so poorly, but at least Holiday seems like to be more of a threat out there from three, even if he's shooting like, you know, sort of bad. But um, this team right now, it, it seems like the sky is falling. But as bad as the record looks, if they can at least, you know, maybe win the next two home games, whatever, try to right this ship a little bit, I'll feel better. But if this team is one and eight heading on to the Western Conference four-game road trip, I'm going to be a little bit nervous, Flash. Absolutely. I mean, there's no way around it. I, like you and I, we'll try and be as positive as we can. But once you hit a certain point, you start going one and eight. It's hard to convince people that you're still a good team. Yeah. And, and, and look, there's been a lot of close games. And it is unfortunate. We can always say who we're playing without. But like I mentioned before, every team we've played so far this year has been without an all-star level player. So, I mean, basically, except for Terry Rozier, but still a good player. But <laughs> at, at the same point, you know, it's so it's just like other teams are dealing with injuries. But, I mean, to your, to your point on Toy Craig, the other night against Brooklyn, I was saying I thought maybe he should have started. Yeah. Because I, I just don't like T.J. McConnell in the starting lineup. I don't. I feel like he's good in, in bursts. And when you when you start to play him too much, like against Brooklyn, he was like, I think it was like 4 or 14. I mean, 14 shots from McConnell, that's a lot. You know, and, and, and the, the McConnell three-point experiment – We've touched on it before, but it, it, it's not happening. I mean, he's he's two of nine on there. And, and just to touch on Sabonis real quick, I know that we, look they drew up the play the the for the what would have been the game time three. They used that play earlier. Miles Turner shot the three uh, a couple games ago, and it worked. Um, this time around, Sabonis. I know we hit the three just before that, but Sabonis was one of seven from three yeah. in this game. And recently, to take the numbers down a, a bit. Uh, Sabonis started out six of 10 from three, the first two games of the season. It was nuts. Alex, since then he's two of 16 from Ugh. three. That's yeah, not bad. the guy I want shooting back to back massive threes at the end of the game. It, the lineup that they had out there, McConnell also out there when you need a, a game time three, that's questionable. Yeah. I mean, I, they really didn't have a choice because they had no timeouts. Right. So they were trying to figure out the best way to, Run a play. I don't think that Sabonis was actually the guy they were trying to get the ball into for that three. I think that Duarte was probably option number one. And then I believe it was McConnell who threw the ball. And I don't even know at this point. I forget. But, you know, I'm sure they were probably trying to get it to Justin Holiday because he was out there as well. But mm-hmm. yep. um, it, it was a bonus. And he did knock one down before that. He did. But that was not really because <laughs> he was wanting to shoot it. It's like they had no other option. So he would just he had to shoot it because they were down by what was it five six something like that. So uh, I'm, I'm they were down four four. Uh, he hit the three. Like, That's yeah. right. Okay, my my mind's it's been a busy day. Let's just put it that way. So <laughs> I remember watching him hit the three. It was big that he hit it right, but he had to shoot it, and, and it yeah. was one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm thinking, I I don't love when Sabonis shoots threes. No, I think it's no. pretty obvious. Um, but but that's besides the point. So clearly not being able to call a timeout and draw a play up that probably hindered the Pacers and what they could really get there. And in terms of a clean look or a, or a creative play by Carlisle in the, in the last seconds there, but you know, Hey, at least I got a chance to tie it. So it's just, it's frustrating. I, I will say the only positive thing besides Levert was the fact that Duarte came back from that scary injury. I know. Oh my uh, God. In the third quarter, it looked like 
I mean, I didn't think it was his knee. I thought he got hit, um, you know, right where it counts. But I was I was grateful that it wasn't something long term because this is a guy that's been really playing pretty well for this team. Uh, and he's been really critical, actually, for this team. So good to see him come back. And hopefully we don't see any more injury scares from our rookies. Yeah, I mean, if something had seriously happened to, you know, Duarte right there where he was going to miss extended time, that would have taken all the air out of this fan base because right now, I mean, it's at a point where win or lose, there's still a large part of us that are just excited to see Chris Duarte out there. Uh, We already lost Isaiah Jackson. Luckily, it's just week to week. But if you took Duarte out and it was going to be, you know, a substantial time, whether it's a month or more, I mean, really, it would have been like, what are we doing here? You know, like, why can't we have anything nice, period? But at the same point, luckily, he comes back now. uh, Jeremy Lamb, after scoring double figures for five straight games, he's doubtful with an ankle injury moving forward. But we'll see. Brogdon, questionable. We'll get into all that later. But it just feels like one guy comes back, another guy goes out. One guy comes back, another guy goes out. That's been the story this year. I just don't know how or when this Pacers team can ever get healthy. Yeah, this year it's been the story of the last like three years, unfortunately. Yep. But mm-hmm. we need to move on real quick from this game because I don't want to keep talking about losses. Um, Goga Batadze, the Pacers exercised the rookie scale team option for his fourth season worth $4.7 million. Were you at all surprised by this? I wasn't surprised by it, but it definitely did start to be a little bit of a question of are we going to do this? Because like the game right before um, the deadline on that, I mean, he didn't get in until there's two minutes left in the game. And right. I thought to myself, like, look, I know you're not going to judge this off of just one game, but Goga had barely even played on the season yeah. at that point. But at the same point, the Pacers are, are in a spot where, you know, they're double big lineup. You, you feel like the expiration date is like some stale milk. Like, this is the year that it's like, this is it. You know, I don't think they're going to run this back one more time next year. But, hey, we've said that the last <laughs> few years, so you never know. So it feels like, hey, $4.7 million. Goga, realistically, you have not seen as much as you should have. There's other guys that have just gotten in his class that have gotten way more minutes. So I think we deserve to at least see it through another year or at least, you know, hey, at the end, you could still, you know, package them in a trade and $4.7 million isn't going to kill any deal. Right, right, right. No, I, I agree. I don't I don't think it was surprising. Um, I think it's pretty evident that fans are expecting a trade at some point between yeah, these exactly. two. But at the same time, when we've seen Goga out there on the court for significant minutes, he's been playing some of the, the four next to Sabonis. Mm-hmm. And then this game against the Raptors, we saw him play a little with Miles Turner. So I'm a little bit surprised by that. I think Isaiah Jackson going down has given him more of an opportunity, Definitely. pushed him up the pecking order. So, I mean – I think Goga, so far, when he's been given significant minutes, he's actually not looked bad. So he hasn't. Maybe Carlisle sees something in him where he's like, okay, you know, I want to reward the guy, but I don't want to play him every game because I'm still trying to win. But, you know, I, I think he's been probably more positive than negative when he's been on the floor. So that's a good sign for Goga. He's young. He's on a cheaper contract, too. So makes sense to, to have that third-string center because injuries always occur for this team, right? You just said that. Yep. So not, not too surprised, but – other than that, I'm happy for Goga and and hoping that we can figure this out. I really hope so. I mean, just get the guy some minutes when you can. I mean, look, he's, his stats don't blow anyone away. He played 10 minutes just recently against Toronto. 
oh for three, but he did some good things, two blocks. I mean, he's shown he could be a consistent shot blocker in this league. And actually, his shot blocking percentage is really good when he's on the floor. So if you gave him extended minutes, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he did have some real good games here and there. But when you give a guy, you know, two minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, what can you really expect? Yeah, I think it was cool to see Carlisle use his coach's challenge early in the game on the mm-hmm. on the called foul on Gogo when he actually had a clean block. I think yep. it was on Chris Boucher. So it was. It, it was cool to see that Carlisle use it then. I know everybody gets mad when the coaches use their challenge so early in the game, but it's like how often are you really going to be able to use a challenge towards the end of the game where it really matters that much? I mean, sometimes there are opportunities, but, you know, I, I'm fine with it at this point. It, it, it helps save the possession. And then Gogo on the jump ball, we got the ball back. So, hey, you know, it, it worked out there for a possession there, you know, and helped us get the ball back. But um, anything else before we wrap up this segment? Nope. I'm already moving on to San Antonio. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's time for your Setting the Pace Player of the Week. Brought to you by Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. They put their heart and soul into the food, and uh, I would love to eat there every day if I could. Open Thursday through Saturday at 11. Located at Camp Sertoma. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue, baby. All good in this head. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. It's smoking good. Brogdon for three. LeVert has an eight-point second quarter. Miles, go, to tie it, he does! Tied at 106! Warren lays it in, and the foul. And one! Three-day scoring. Sapotis with the throwdown. Here's another three. Twitch! What an all-of-young man! All right, we are back for our player of the week. We took a poll. We wanted to have you guys involved in this, so we're not just, uh, you know, Picking whoever we want, we want you guys to pick who the true player of the week is. And for this week, the people spoke, Alex, and they went with Chris Duarte. 
On the week, Chris Duarte averaged 15.7 points per game to go along with 4.7 rebounds per game. Had scoring games of 18, 14, 19, and 12. Uh, still leads all rookie scorers on the season. His best game was 19 points on 9 of 19 shooting against Brooklyn. Alex, would you have picked anyone else? No, that was a pretty bad week. Uh, someone said, I really don't know who to pick. Nobody should get picked. And I kind of agreed. We had a hard time with this one. We were talking, and you'd brought up some bonus, but there was some times where he had some bad games, and I thought maybe Tory Craig reward him for the career night, but at the same time, we didn't give Miles Turner that same credit last week, so felt unfair to do that. And then we talked about maybe Karis LeVert because we got the injury update that he was going to be coming back, uh, and he went from out to questionable. So that would have that would have been some, you know, really fine tinkering there to find a guy, but. Really like what we're seeing from Chris Duarte, and absolutely love what we saw from him in Brooklyn. I think I was mo- more impressed with his game there than any of the other games all week. Going toe-to-toe with that team, your boy Javon Carter was all over him, yep. left wide on Rice. Kevin Durant was guarding him at times. He was guarding James Harden. He had his hands full. But, you know, I, I loved how he wasn't afraid of the moment, and I-, I think it's fair to give it to him as well. I think so. I mean, this is a guy who had a, a, a real good shot at winning it for us, uh, you know, for the player of the week last week also. Yeah. It was even more impressive. But on the season, you know, Duarte still shooting 39% from three on a healthy 6.6 attempts per game. So, I mean, we've talked about his shooting. It's been on display. Usually rookies heat up later on in the season. So if this is what he's doing now, I'm excited to see him get comfortable. But great experience being able to guard guys like James Harden. You know, I really thought that that was was just huge. It's like Mm -hmm. each week he's experiencing these massive moments and he's still just not afraid of the moment. Averaging basically 36 minutes per game on the season. So uh, I think it was the right choice by listeners going with Chris Duarte, player of the week. Absolutely. Well, speaking of rookies, let's let's bring on our next segment, the Rookie Report. The Rookie Report, brought to you by Pizza King, located at 135 and Fairview Road. Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The Rookie Report. Duarte inside scores his first NBA point. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Duarte, step back three and hits his third. That's a tough three too. Now Duarte, another three. Here's a long three. Duarte, got him. Tucker thought he had a lightweight. All right, Fachi, let's get started with this rookie report here. Um, I want to get started with Isaiah Jackson. Uh, Didn't really get a lot of playing time, but was able to play in the blowout fourth quarter against Toronto, but suffered a really, you know, scary injury. Ended up not being as bad as maybe we thought it was. Can you tell the people about Isaiah Jackson's injury? Yeah, so I believe it was a hyperextension of of his knee. Uh, Now, Carlisle said he's going to be, quote, out for a while. Just hearing those few words. Really terrified me, but then they ended up changing the next day to saying week to week. Mm-hmm. Now, you see week to week in the NFL and you go, ah, that's fine. He'll be back next week. In the NBA, you know, that could be, you know, four games or so. Isaiah Jackson is the kind of guy that is not like a Malcolm Brogdon where you absolutely need to have him out there right now. So I feel like the Pacers can take their time with this, let him just rest it up. And I don't expect to see him this upcoming week. I might not even expect to see him the following week, but 
in that game against Toronto, we did see him score his first NBA basket. He had four rebounds. He blocked a, uh, he looked very impressive. It was, he, he squatted away a lob, not rule the block, but right, it was, right. he got up there very high. And uh, it, I, it just felt like he was finally starting to get real comfortable. And it's a shame that we didn't get to see more of him, but we're very lucky that that injury is not expected to be a long-term injury. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was happy to see the guy get some minutes. Unfortunately, the circumstances were not great for why he got him, but uh, I think this guy has potential and I'm excited to see it. But like you said, Chris Duarte, I don't think we need to rehash that too much being the player of the week, but he had another fantastic week as well. And it's just great to see our, our 13th overall pick shining and, you know, being noticed as one of the top rookies so far throughout the beginning of the NBA season. Really is. And, you know, just to highlight on that Toronto game real quick, 12 points, six rebounds, six assists. And he's showing that, you know, for a guard and the Patriots have struggled with rebounding. I mean, if he can consistently average five, six rebounds per game, something like that, that's great. But he can also show the playmaking. I mean, six assists, it's great. He'll take chances. He had five turnovers against Toronto. Not what you want, but let your rookie play through some mistakes. You know, yeah. no need to have a short leash on him. So he's going to have some big games and he's going to have some rookie games. Either way, every single member of this fan base can say they have been impressed by the play of Chris Duarte. All right, Pachi. Well, I think it's only fair now that we move on and look at our week ahead. We've got at least four more four games coming up, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. Tell us about those games. All right. So moving forward, um, first up, the Spurs. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is questionable in that game. Karis LeVert is questionable. I think he likely plays. Keelan Martin is now questionable. Uh, Lamb, doubtful with an ankle injury. And TJ Warren is obviously out. Uh, I feel good that Brogdon, they gave him a couple games off. I mean, would I love to see him against Toronto in Levert's return? Yes. But at the same point, I feel promising that uh, Brogdon returns against the Spurs and having him and Levert back feels like a, a bit of a sense of normalcy with this team. So I'm excited for that. After that, Alex, it gets tough. I mean, yeah. the schedule coming up, the Knicks, they're five and one. Portland, they're three and two. And the Kings, they're three and three. I mean, and yeah. these teams have quality wins. The Knicks are the only team to have beaten the Bulls. I mean, they beat Philly. They beat Boston. Portland, they beat the Suns, the Grizzlies, the Clippers. The Kings, they beat Portland, the Suns, and New Orleans. So, you know, you look at this, you really got to try and at least beat the Spurs and the Kings. If not, hope that you can squeeze one out against maybe Portland here. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine us winning in Portland. We always struggle there. Yeah. Um they got to win these two at home. I think that's the best bet. I mean, I know the Knicks are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to discredit them, but they've got to take advantage of this opportunity here against the Knicks and the Kings. There's a good chance they could beat them. I mean, the, the Kings are the Kings at this point. So um, at the end of the day, though, Flatch, I, I just want to see these guys slowly get healthy, right? I mean, losing Jeremy Lamb, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it is, <laughs> especially with how the roster is and, and not having the guys to play over. It. So um, so many injuries, but I, I'm really hopeful that just getting Levert back, hopefully Brogdon back soon, we can start to play better basketball. Yeah, I mean, I really think we can. I think just the simple things of, you know, putting Brogdon back in the starting lineup, moving McConnell to the bench, putting Levert in the starting lineup, keeping Justin Holliday on the bench, you know, stuff like that, I think is going to help balance out this team because, I mean, look, the, the bench, it, it's just, it's been real tough. I mean, they really got to step up. I was crunching some numbers. The bench against Toronto, just two free throw attempts, five mm -hmm. rebounds combined, four assists combined, and six turnovers. I mean, 
You're not getting enough there from points. It was 29 points, but you scattered that across everybody else. It, Justin Holliday made up 16 of them. Lamb had basically the rest. I mean, it, it's real bare bones out there. So the Pacers are going to need to uh, get it together. The Spurs being two and four, that's your opportunity. But even they just beat the Bucks. Yeah. You know, have. I mean, there's there's really no easy games here. We no. knew the schedule was going to be brutal to begin with, but it just becomes a time where you got to throw these excuses out and just make it happen. Alex, I, I was going just crunching some numbers, you know, on this team. 36.7 threes. That's three more than last year. We're shooting a worse percentage, and we've always struggled getting the line. We're shooting less free throws than last year. So it's it's tough. We're scoring seven less points than last year. I mean, all of this is not easy at all, but – Hey, it's the NBA. Anyone can win on any night, and the Pacers yeah. have to just put their best foot forward. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Flatch. It's uh, it's frustrating a little bit to not be able to get to the free throw line, but with Karis hopefully coming back, we can see that change. But San Antonio, it's going to be a tough one. The only thing I like about this coming upcoming week, no back-to-backs. Yeah. So they'll have a game, a day to rest in between each game. So that'll be good. But then they get a brutal back-to-back the Nuggets and the Jazz the next week. So, oh my God, talk about talk about a brutal back to back with that altitude. But um, now we're going to take another break. I'm going to try to get some water to clear my throat. I am so sorry for this, everybody. I I'm cringing at hearing myself talk right now. But uh, we got your favorite segment of the week, the mailbag. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, Fachi, we're here for the mailbag. Hopefully my voice sounds a little bit better, but uh, this comes from our guy, Ricky Kelly. He said, do you think we can ever go on a five-game win streak this year? I mean, man, asking that when the team's one and six sounds like, you know, <laughs> like we're going to just purchase the Lakers or something. I mean, it, it's going to be tough, but uh, anything's possible. I mean, I, I, you can't rule it out, but I'm going to say the team needs to get healthy before I can even think about a five-game win streak. How about we go on yeah. a two-game win streak first? Yeah, I mean, I it's hard to answer this question right now. You're right. I would say, yes, they will go on one, just predicting – how things happen. You know, this team will eventually start turning things around, you would hope at least, once they get healthy. I think they could maybe do it. But there's really not a uh, an easy game on the schedule, you know. Yeah. The, I think the NBA as a whole has gotten better overall. So I'm, have. I'm not too, like, cocky. Oh, we're going to beat this team tonight. You know, like, especially with how we've been playing. Like, you, you look at a team like Orlando or Detroit, you see them on the schedule, you're like, we should win this. But it's like, are we going to? You know, like – it's uh, I mean, we've played a lot better teams than those teams, so but it's get me wrong. But OKC what? just beat the Lakers, you know. Yeah, the, the Magic, uh, the Magic have beat the Knicks. Uh, that's the Knicks' only loss. So any anyone can beat anyone on any night, but you know, you got to at least look capable out there. Yeah, well, let's move on. We got two questions here from Sam Colbertson. He said, number one, what's the missing piece for this team to take the next step? Oh, the missing piece is a dog. I mean, we talked about it. There, there's When things get rough, I mean, you see this Pacers team just goes cold and they just look like – I don't want to say they roll over and die, but it just looks like things just get worse and you can't stop it. You need that one guy who's just going to, like, 
ignite something. You know, he's going right. to, you need that to be contagious. They don't have that. We've talked about it. They don't have that, that culture changer. Like maybe whether it's like the PJ Tucker who came in there and got everybody to step up their defense, or you mentioned Chris Paul, or we mentioned those type of guys that when they, they like infected like right now, Washington, Montres Harrell has everybody out there just all like buying in a defense and they're all pumped up. We're missing that this year. Yeah, no, it's uh, we definitely miss a dog on this team. We also miss just an elite level score. Uh, we don't have that. I mean, maybe Levert can become that, but still, I mean, he's not an elite level scorer where you're talking top five, top 10 players. So, um, you know, just, just missing an A level player. Got a lot of good B players. Uh, maybe you could say when Lover and Warren are at their best, their B pluses, you don't have that A level player. And I think that is what, you know, we're missing. And, you know, I don't know if you can get a via trade. That's the thing. So unless you're willing to, to mortgage some of your picks uh, and pick swaps with a couple players, you're probably not going to get a player like that unless they ask out and, and that's what you can offer. But uh, yeah, that's a tough one. But he, his second question is if you could trade for a superstar, who do you think would fit the team best? I will go ahead and answer this. Um, I would either choose Kevin Durant or Luka Doncic. Huh. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the guys that you named are truly MVP level players. So well, that's, I mean, it, it fits the question, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yes, if, if Luka Doncic is available, give me Luka and I promise you everything will change. Yeah. I mean, if there's like, uh, if you're like wanting us to be like potentially available superstars. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure. I don't even know who could potentially be available. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. Cause it's like, look, we've heard Damian Lillard's name tossed around. I don't think he's actually yeah. available. We've heard Bradley Beal's name tossed around. I don't think he's available either. It, Carl it's Towns. Just, yeah. It's like uh, it, those guys, they're, they're not available. I mean, if the wizards like there, there's no reason for them to trade Bradley Beal, unless he flat out asked to be traded. Yeah. I, I think the only one that like, I don't even know if he's a superstar. I don't think he is at all actually. But, you know, the projections could make him one is a guy I've talked about before, De'Aaron Fox. Uh, there were some rumblings like, hey, could the, could the Kings trade him? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I even heard that already, like, just a couple days ago on Twitter. I mean, it's just Twitter talk, so I don't think it's real stuff. But, you know, fans were just like, with Davion Mitchell playing well and Tyrese Halliburton and, and how he's gone up to a slow start, it, it feels like, hey, if Fox became available – I think I would be looking to maybe try to get him. I think he'd be a good Indiana guy and uh, would probably fit really well under Rick Carlisle. But, you know, uh, I don't know how realistic that is either. So um, you ready for the next question? Ready. Our man Nathan here has a bit of a savage question. He said, what injury-prone player will Kevin Pritchard target next? Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I I hope they already have been targeted and acquired because – Right now, we do not need another one, and I know that's like our loophole in the system, trading for someone that another team doesn't trust, but I think we've done it enough, and I think at this point, you just can't do it anymore. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'll say Pascal Siakam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, these questions, I mean, I'm having a hard time really answering them. I know that was probably a joke more than yeah, anything, I but I, uh, I had to throw it out there. So, of course. Uh, another question. Here it comes from Tell the Truth 31. Our man is uh, he pretty, he cracks me up. I, I'm not gonna lie. He said, "In my opinion, Pacers have been uh, boring since Lance left. Is there a player available that can bring excitement um, and edge the way Lance used to?" Yeah, his name's Lance Stevenson. He's in the G League. <laughs> no, I mean I, I would have loved for the Pacers to have gone after him, but they were picking too early in the G League. I think they had like 
the third or fourth pick or like the they six, wouldn't have taken him. Pick or I know, I know, it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked out, but it would have been great though. Um, but I don't know if there's really one of those players. I mean, we we tossed around Patrick Beverly's name like a ton of times in the past. It's just like a guy that it's like, why not? Why? I mean, just it would be great to have one of those type of guys, but there's just not that many of them. And right now, the Pacers desperately need one. Yeah, I think P.J. Tucker is a guy that can do that. Uh, Jay Crowder a little bit as well. Yep. But there's a reason those guys stick around the league. Sometimes they get traded around and they're journeymen, but when they're impactful, they will stay with that team for a while. Actually, a guy that I think is kind of like that, he just signed with the Bulls in the offseason, is Caruso. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you know, High energy guy. You're yeah. boxing on defensive end. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to be out there. Maybe Thad Young. I don't think he's the same level as Lance. But, I mean, he's pretty – I mean, he can be aggressive is what I'm saying. And he's got a little bit of dog in him, you know, but Mm -hmm. not to the extent of, like, a Pat Beverly where he's barking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a a pretty – I mean, he's a leader, but on the court he's pretty silent. He just lets his game speak for himself. Um, Yeah, but I I wouldn't be opposed to somebody like Lance just coming in here and kind of ruffling some feathers because, you know, this team could use that. But – Let's move on. This comes from our, our our faithful listener, Aaron M. at Hugh Pacers. Do you think the Pacers uh, front office will actually make a change before the deadline, or will they continue their belief in what clearly has and likely won't work? I think they will make a change. I think they will. Uh, I don't know what that change is going to be, but I do think they'll make a move. I mean, even the simple fact of picking up Goga's option has you guys – I mean, not you guys, has, has the front office in general thinking we're not going to have any money. I mean, like, there's, there's just no money at all. So you got to find a way to make some type of deal. And I feel like that's going to be potentially packaging Jeremy Lamb's expiring with someone. I don't know what yeah. that is. I don't know if this is going to be a drastic move because we talked about it. I mean, what type of real value does TJ Warren have on the trade market right now? None. You know, you don't want to trade this guy just to just to trade him out of there and get like a, a so-so player, but – there, there's there's going to be a lot of questions, and I don't think the Pacers front office can go into next year with the same team and thinking that their jobs are definitely safe. Right, and I think if you know if there was a, a big name free agent out there, somebody might go after TJ Warren just to be able to get off his expiring contract yeah. in the off season and sign a big free agent. But the free agents are locked up for quite a bit. Uh, the the free agency classes just continue to look terrible. Like mm-hmm. everything that's going to happen is going to happen via trade or via sign and trade that kind of thing. So keep your eyes on that. I mean, I I I am just uh, I'm I'm not sure what trades are out there. I, I saw a tweet that was floating around the day and I said, "Man, Charlotte could really use a big." I said, uh, the, "My Pacers have some." <laughs> yep. You know yep. that's why we keep bringing Charlotte up. I mean, I know they got Kai Jones and Plumley, but come on now. Uh, I think. Either of the pace or starters would be better than that for that team. But you give the you give the Hornets either Domas or Miles, you know, you better be getting something good back because that team's gonna be really good. Um, I, I don't know what I know I know Spencer joked at me for <laughs> trying to get PJ Washington speaking it into an existence, mm-hmm. but uh I, I like PJ Washington, he'd be perfect here, but that's besides the point. I, I, I don't know what the front office is gonna do, but they they cannot continue to do this, Fachi. Um the fan base is fed up beyond and, belief. I've and, never seen the fan base so upset. And they are. And I know we didn't talk about it earlier, but let's just touch on it real quick. Alex, this team's last attendance by a, a solid margin. Oh, a it's a bad. Did you margin. see my tweet? I, I mean, I, I don't know. Over a hundred replies. Exactly. And, and if you, I mean, the Pacer fans, they don't agree on much, 
collectively. Yeah. When yeah. you put that out there, everybody came and they had something to say. So that just shows that everybody is fed up. This team is averaging 12,688 fans. That was more than 2,000 less fans than the Wizards. Alex, I live in the D.C. market. It's one of the worst markets out there for basketball. Number, D.C. Number is an 29. area. <laughs> exactly. It's an area where everybody from other states moves to. No one actually is like born and raised in D.C. People move here. So it's like no one. the, the Wizards fan base is horrendous. The fact, the fact that the Pacers are 2,000 less fans than that. I mean, this is where basketball is bred. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's oh, it's tough because you start to think about it. A team like the Bulls, they're averaging 8,000 more fans than the Pacers. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and the, and, and the Wizards actually have some players that look good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I mean, they, they're, they're like five and one right now. Yeah, Kuzma's look good. Harold's look good. KCP looks good. Like that trade's really looking like it paid off for them. The Magic are averaging far more fans than us. The Thunder, I mean, full rebuilds, you know, yeah, averaging yeah. three, 4,000 fans more. So, I mean, it's crazy. We can go on and on, but it's one thing if you're drawing fans and you're not winning and it's like, oh, okay, well, this, is, this isn't right, but at least you're selling tickets. No, 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 no. They're not drawing fans. They're not winning. And we don't have a bunch of young players that's coming together for, for years and years to come. I mean, yeah, uh, it's a story for another day. Right. I, I think Kevin Bowen pretty much summed up how all the fan base felt. He quote tweeted my tweet when I asked, what do you think the biggest reason is for the Pacers' low attendance? He said, running it back while refusing to admit this team is filled with injury-prone players, thus keeping the ceiling at NBA purgatory levels. Have heard from so many fans who go and see a, in quotes, boring product. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just kind of how it is. I mean, this team's not been very fun to watch. I mean, Victor Oladipo pretty much saved this franchise once Paul George said he wanted out. And then Vic gets hurt the next year. And since then, it's not been the same. We got a really fun moment from TJ Warren in the bubble, but yep. you couldn't watch that in person. And then on top of that, I saw the most comments really back besides the fact that we stink right now was not being able to watch the games because of the dispute between Sinclair and whoever they're uh, with. I'm not really the NBA, but it's really with all the different outlets where you can watch games yep. like YouTube TV, Hulu, Sling, like all those different ones. It's really only on AT&T and DirecTV and Comcast, like cable networks were the only ones that are really paying the, the heavy price to have those channels and carry them. So I, I would say AT&T TV probably is the best way to go. It's the cheapest from what I've seen besides League Pass, but people in Indiana can't really watch League Pass because uh, the games exactly. get blocked out. Mm -hmm. So yep. I don't really know how the Pacers fix it. I don't think that's really their fault. They can't really do anything about it. So I would say for fans, if you really want to watch this team and support them and you want to be able to go to games, then go to uh, 18 or it's a direct TV stream now. It's not 18 TV anymore. They just got bought out by direct TV stream, but the, the rates there are, you know, close to YouTube TV, but you get more options too. So I would look at those packages as what I have. That's how I watch the games because I'm not going to miss a game no matter how bad we are, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, I, I mean, we're doing this for, you know, a little bit of money, but not a whole lot. It's not really a job, but it's it's more of a hobby for us. The love and, of the team. Yeah. The love and, of the team. And I'll watch them if they're 1-81, and you know. Exactly. It's uh, it's not fun, but I'll, I'll do it because I'm a fan. And, I mean, anytime I can watch Pacers play, I want to. So that's just how I feel. Um, but, yeah, let's uh, – Let's move on, Fachi, to our next question. Uh, we're going to head over to Instagram now. we got quite a bit over here. 
Um, this comes from Charlie. He said, would we be a better team if we traded Sabonis? It's hard to answer that question because what's the trade? I mean, that's the thing is like, if are you going to be better if you trade, you know, you would think trading your best player could get the biggest return, but what's the market out there for a guy like Sabonis? I mean, we don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's the type of Vucevic deal that they had last year where, you know, the Bulls gave up two first round picks, Wendell Carter, you know, Otto Porter, you know, they, they, there was a whole bunch of uh, pieces over there for Sabonis right now. It's too early. You might need, you know, a, a big injury to a big where a team is then looking to fork over a bunch of young assets. But for now, without knowing what the deal is, I, I can't say that we would be a better team from the deal without knowing what the pieces are. Yeah, I agree with that. That's it's just so hard to tell without knowing what the actual trade is. I mean, it's a cop out answer, but you know, if, if you're trading Turner for the same person you could trade Sabonis for or vice versa, you know, I, I think you have to really think about, hey, what makes our team better? Uh if we bring on player X, let's let's just throw a name out there. Let's say Harrison Barnes, right? This is a big, big wing that the Pacers could really use to play that four a little bit. If you go out and get him, does it make more sense to trade Sabonis or Turner for that value? I don't think any Pacer fan would be happy with that value in return for either of those guys. But what I'm saying is if the Pacers feel like, hey, Barnes with Sabonis makes more sense, let's trade Turner, then you go that route. But if they think, hey, we can get Turner uh, to play really well with Barnes, then you trade Sabonis. I mean, it's just I don't think that would ever happen. I guess it's a bad example. But uh, <laughs> But just thinking in terms of that, like, you have to figure out how the pieces make your team. So if you want to keep Sabonis long-term, then, you know, you, you trade other pieces to fit him. But if you want Turner long-term, then you got to figure out what you can get for Sabonis that makes sense for playing next to Miles Turner and, and what position you want to get. So um, I, I think that there's a chance fan bases might offer more for Sabonis than Miles just because he's got the two-time All-Star on his resume. And he's been playing more in fourth quarters <laughs> than, than Miles, but um, I, I don't really know. It's it's a tough one, but let's move on to our next question, unless you have anything else to say on that. I was just going to say, Sabonis, I think, would, would bring in a bigger return. I think most fans would agree that it's not a knock on Turner. Turner, I think that's just kind of a fact. But I just think that bigs also have less of a of a, like a, a trade return yeah. than, you know, superstar wings. I think that's just kind of how it is. You know, I mean, sure, if you were going to make a trade for a guy like Embiid, you would think that there's going to be a big deal. I'm not saying the Pacers are doing that. If, the, if the Philly was going to trade Embiid, you would think they would get a lot in return. But then there's also like, well, you know, there could be injuries there. You know, the bigs, I feel like they tend to get hurt more. And I just think you don't bring back the same trade package as like a superstar small forward or like a guard. So it's it's real tough, unfortunately. That's where the Pacers are luxurious in their bigs. So yeah, it doesn't help us for a trade right now. Right, and I will. I will also say this: like uh, you said, Sabonis is probably our best player, and the two-time All Stars would indicate that. But I, I think we've seen over the last couple of games when Sabonis does not have a Brogdon or a Lavert out there to make life easier for him. Uh, he's he's kind of hard capped at what he can be. Right, Absolutely. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to hate on Domas, but he just benefits so much from having a guy that can get him the ball in the right position. And also a guard that can hit those mid-range jumpers and run that pick and roll effectively with him. If he doesn't have someone that can really play that role with him well, then it's a bit of a struggle. Like we saw how well him and McDermott played together because they were so good offensively, so in sync. Like Doug could shoot the three, but he could also put the ball in the basket. And he was also really good at cutting. 
And there's not a lot of guys in the league that can do all three things, right? So that's why I think, you know, we talk about Domas being the best player on this team, whatever, but at the same time, he really is more of a complimentary piece, in my opinion. Of course. As, as much as he is the hub of the offense, he's more of a complimentary to our wings. Or <laughs> Complimentary is a hard word to say. I, uh, yeah, it's not a backhanded compliment. Does, I know exactly what you mean. But yeah. here's the thing. Sabonis, as good as he is, he cannot be your undisputed best player no. if you have expectations to win it all. Look at DeMarcus yeah. Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins was putting up unbelievable numbers in Sacramento, and they never even sniffed the playoffs. Biggs can't do it alone. I mean, even Shaquille O'Neal had Penny Hardaway and Kobe and Wade. I mean, it's like Hakeem Olajuwon had Clyde Drexler. I mean, it's like you need help. You do. If you're going to win it all, if you're going to even go far, you need help. Yeah, and I don't think that the Pacers in building this roster thought that Sabonis was that number one guy. I don't believe that. No. Well, I'm just saying even now how they've built the roster, I don't think it's been like, oh, Domas is our number one. Uh, we're going to build around him. I don't think that's the case. No. They thought I, we have five real good guys, you exactly. know, like, like that. Yep. They they don't see themselves having an A-level player in Domas, in my opinion. They see themselves having really good players across the board and hoping that they can maximize that talent. But um, I think the fan base gets a little bit uh, frustrated with Domas because he's the two-time All-Star. So he's got that best player label from casual fans that don't know much about the Pacers besides him. So that's uh, I just wanted to clear that up real quick because um, I get tired of having to have that conversation with people all the time. It's just like Domas is a nice player. He's really good, but he's a B-level player, a B-plus level player. He's not an A. He's not an elite superstar. So Anybody that's trying to say that, I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings right now, but anybody that hates on Domas too because he's not that, um, then your expectations for him are too high or you're just wanting him to fail. But uh, let's move on. Next question. This comes from Jules7814. She goes, I'm a diehard Pacers fan. I want the team to get better. Do you think a trade for Bull Bull from the Nuggets will help the Pacers? <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I like Bull I'm sorry, Bull. Jules. <laughs> And I think he could be really good, and it's frustrating he doesn't play. The last thing we need is another big. I mean, it's, there's just not enough. We can't roll out five bigs at once. So it's just there's nothing we can do, you know? Oh, I'm sorry, Jules. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just can't help but laugh at this question. Jules, I'm with you that I think Bull Bull is a good player that needs to get on the court. But unfortunately, we have way too many bigs. Oh, man. I mean, the last thing we need is another center. <laughs> Sorry, but it's like Bull Bull. Like I, I get it. He's uh he's he's an interesting guy, right? Like he's he's shown flashes of why he could yep. be, you know, like oh okay, this guy might be something. But like that's uh injury prone guy we could trade for next right there. Um, uh, Bull Bull does not really fit the roster at all for what they need. They have what he brings already, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't ever think that his potential will be better than what we have in Turner or Sabonis. So uh, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to trade for him. I'm really sorry for laughing so hard there, Jules. Uh, just kind of caught me off guard with that question. I was reading it, and I uh, <laughs> was a little bit taken aback. So uh, let's move on. Our next one, this comes from Logan. He said, a top five lottery pick sounds nice this year, doesn't it? Let's abandon ship. I mean, hey, the, the mystery box always looks appealing. A top <laughs> five pick, something the Pacers haven't had in literally forever. I mean, they haven't picked, I think, in the top nine in about 30 years. So it's been a long, long time. Um, and I would one day I would like to get back there. Is this the year? Oh, I mean, at one and six, I can't tell you it's not that year. 
But at the same point, I think we need to wait until college basketball starts to see how good the talent really is. Right now, there's a few names that I feel like are a little bit known, like Chet Holmgren. I know it's supposed to be, you know, the top pick out of Gonzaga, but yeah. we got to wait and see a little bit more. Um, but hey, the more the losses rack up, the the harder it's uh, going to be to resist that mystery box. Yeah, I uh, I put on Twitter that I may or may not be looking at the 2022 NBA draft class. Uh, Patrick Bal- Baldwin Jr. is someone I'm keeping an eye on, is what I said on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> some people are like, stop it, get some help, uh, the Michael Jordan yeah. meme. But, you know, uh, I was just looking to, to just to keep my eyes open. Just look right now, 30th in the league, right, Faji? So yeah. record-wise, it's not, it's not looking pretty. I don't know how we write this shit, but uh, interesting stuff there. I would not be mad. I wonder how the fan base would respond if the Pacers just came out and said, yes, we are tanking this year because of the injuries. We want to get a top five pick. We're going to rebuild next year. I mean, if the fan base heard that, one, it would be a breath of fresh air because we've never heard that. And number two, I don't think they'd be as mad about losses as they have been. Well, one, the front office is getting a hefty fine for coming out saying that, all right? Because you are not allowed to say that you're tanking. But, you know, at the same oh, point. But okay, see, it's I, fine. Yeah, I know. Everybody knows what they're doing, but, you know, whatever. Either way, I think that the Pacers, I think, would finally be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm cool with it. But I also think that they would probably say, I'm probably not watching many games this year. But they would be excited once it comes time for, you know, the lottery, for the yeah. NBA draft. I think they really would. And and realistically, no team, I mean, I don't say no team, but, like, the only way to really get out of mediocrity, being average, get out of the bottom, whatever it is, is to at one point bottom out. The yeah. San Antonio Spurs, they, they hit gold with David Robinson and Tim Duncan, number one picks, yeah. and they ended up winning five championships out of it. The Cleveland Cavaliers, I think, could have been the worst franchise forever. But you know what? They hit gold with LeBron and later Kyrie Irving. You know, it's it happens with everybody. I mean, even the Golden State Warriors, they don't build that without getting Steph seventh overall, getting Klay Thompson, I believe, 11th overall. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's what it takes. And Draymond in the second round. <laughs> Draymond in the second round. But it's like, I mean, Charlotte Hornets, they look like such a fun team right now. Well, you got LaMelo Ball third overall. You know, it's just, it's just uh, Miles Bridges was a lottery pick. Uh, I mean, it's like. And that's what it takes, unfortunately. So, um, yeah. you know, not everybody could find a diamond in the rough like Giannis at pick 15. Eventually, this this day will have to come for the Pacers for them to pick top five or so if they're ever going to stop being a tough out. Yeah, I mean, they got Reggie Miller at like 11, I think it was. Got lucky. Um, they got Paul George at 10. They got Miles Turner at 11. Chris Duarte probably looks like the most promising rookie since then. So oh, yeah. uh, they got him at 13th overall. So we'll see what happens um, where they fall in the draft. I, I, I'm not really sure right now, but the good thing is they have this pick. Exactly. Thank and, God. You know, they didn't trade it, but also if they're struggling, like how, how attractive could this pick be to help you acquire a player? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. you never know. Like, let's, let's just throw it out there. Like, let's say another team that's been, really just struggling to, to hit the map and they got a superstar that wants out, you know, you could say, Hey, we got this fifth overall pick, whatever we have. Plus we'll give you X player for, you know, your superstar. And that could be enticing because, you know, that pick is always so much more enticing until the actual player is picked. Right. So uh, once that player is picked, all the value of that pick goes just out the window pretty much, unless it's like, you know, Trey Young, look at Doncic, one of those kind of picks, but, I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm i not sure 
where else um, the the fan base wants this team to go besides you know uh, into a complete rebuild. But at the same time, I don't know if they could handle it. How bad they're freaking out after a one and six start. So it's a uh, it's it's a tough place to be in. But let's move on. We got a couple more questions. This comes from Journey Rain thirteen. Why are we struggling to close out games, Fachi? That's a good question. That is a good question. I, I think that the Pacers, A, aren't playing great defense, um, and then, B, they don't have a closer right now. They don't. I mean, the end of the game, think about it. We've gone to Sabonis twice at the end of the game. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out in either game against Charlotte, against Toronto. We went to Duarte against the Heat uh, in regulation right before overtime. Fortunately, it didn't work out, but, that, you know, that, that's that's fine. He's a rookie. It was awesome to even see him in that position. Against Washington, they blew a six-point lead in overtime. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they just don't have guys that I feel like can stop runs. The Pacers have have let up some massive runs this year that have been like, you know, 20, 24 to three or, you know, something like that where you need guys to be able to get baskets to stop these runs and hit big shots in the end. And, unfortunately, we just have not been able to hit those big shots at the end. Yeah, I think there's a couple things to look at here. One, it's just – the lineups, you know, you're closing with three bench players at, 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 yep. to a certain extent. And the last couple of games, I mean, with Brogdon, you had at least three starters. But even then, Turner was out for quite a bit of those. So you're playing three bench players at that point to close out the game. You don't have a superstar level player. Really, this team has not had all season long a player that can really create contact and get to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's been a couple of times where O'Shea has gone hard at the basket, but they haven't given the foul call. But that's because of name recognition, right? He's a he's a bench guy that's pretty inconsistent so far in this season, and he's not going to get the calls maybe that you think he should get. But you know, James Harden the other night had 19 free throws, so being able to get to the line is huge, and I think that's a great way to close out games is being able to put pressure on the defense when you're settling for so many jump shots, or you know, most of our points in the paint are fast break or they're off of offensive rebounds. I haven't really seen too many post ups. There's been some hit or miss where a guy might cut and you hit them, but not very often. Most of our points have come off, you know, three-point shots that we're taking. We're shooting a lot of threes this year. So I think that really just, you know, I hate to say it again, but health is part of the reason we're struggling. But more importantly, I just think it's we don't have that closer. And, you know, it's uh, you're hoping Levert is that guy. You know, we've seen DJ Warren be that guy in the bubble, but that's about it. So I – uh it, having that three-level score really hurts you. Not not having that three-level score really hurts you, Fachi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy that we're trying to get Duarte to that point, but it's still so young in his career to really ask him to step up and be that guy. It really is. I mean, he could miss his next five game-winning or game-tying shots, and I would still think it's awesome to get him this experience because we can't just be expecting him to just be at pick 13 – be the absolute savior of the franchise, hitting game-winning shot after game-winning shot. Uh, health, obviously, you mentioned, look, that's that's definitely like the number one thing, but th- these games were still winnable with who we had. It's just the Pacers had gone cold that time. They've had those awful third quarters where they've let up massive runs or, or maybe, hey, if you hit this shot, you know, you can put this team away. I mean, again, against Washington, it was like we're up six, and then it's like there was like – two offensive fouls called or we, we would miss a shot. And instead of going up, you know, eight or that next thing, you know, we're only up three and, you know, it, there's little things like that. So yeah. we, we need to get healthy, but we also need to hit the big shots when they come. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, we, we always seem to hit the big shots when, you know, the other team hits one right before us and we close the gap, but we'd never take the lead with it. Yep. 
And I, I think also we didn't talk about it at all, but defensively getting the rebound. I mean, I don't know how many possessions I saw Toronto get in, in, in back-to-back, you know, plays. Basically, they got like five offensive rebounds that led to a foul or led to a basket. Then we go down, miss a shot. They come down, get three offensive rebounds. It's like you got to make it a one-possession game, a one-shot possession every time you can. And you got to be more communicative on defense. I know they've changed it up. They went to some zone a little bit, uh, get some of these teams. And the zone is good, but zones are also harder to rebound in, in my opinion, because you're in an area and you're not guarding a specific player. So trying to find a person to put a body on. Um, and, and a lot of times, like I've seen Domas do it a lot. He goes right to the ball, doesn't find a body. And then he's not athletic. And when you play in Toronto, an athletic guy like Kim Birch or Boucher or whoever can get in there, uh, precious Achua, and they can tap the ball out or, or they can at least go up and fight for the rebound. And, and Sabonis is trying to outmuscle him with his arms for the ball instead of just creating that uh, original contact and then going to get it. Um, not trying to criticize Domas too much, but it's just something I've seen from him a lot. And uh, I Turner does it every once in a while too. So one of those things they can fix on that side of the ball as well. But let's move on. We have two more questions. This comes from Fester35. Is Goga getting more minutes an indication of a potential roster move coming? I don't think so. I think it's more of a product of Isaiah Jackson's down and, you know, it's one less guy to, you know, to have minutes. So I think at this point, like I mentioned, Goga showed something, you know, the other night, um, you know, when he made a season debut and I think that he should have been able to get more minutes after that. But unfortunately it was like two minutes here, a few minutes there, he gets 10 minutes against Toronto. Uh, and that's after you pick up his option. So I, I think it's just about, Isaiah Jackson not being in there, being able to throw him a couple more minutes. I don't think Gogo is going to be traded within the next week or two weeks or anything like that. Yeah, I, I don't really think it's more so trading Goga. I I mean, Isaiah Jackson, I think that's part of it. But even when Isaiah was healthy, um, he didn't get in that Bucks game, and Goga did. So I think with Goga, they want to see what they have. And I think that every opportunity that Carlisle can play him, it – gives the front office more of a, of an idea of what he could be like under Carlisle, which would make it easier if they do decide to trade one of the bigs between Sabonis and Turner. Like it's, it's an annoying conversation we have to have every single year because even when they were good with McMillan, they finished fourth. It was just like, you know, people were talking about it so much, but it wasn't as heavy of a conversation as it is right now. The last two years have really, really, really been just like, Ever since the trade rumors about Gordon Hayward happened, it's just been constant with these two. Like, no matter how good they do, everybody's comparing their numbers and who's better on off, who's better, you know, what their what their numbers are together, like what their numbers are with certain rosters. It's just like in today's NBA, these two do not really make the most sense to start. You're not going to get the best team that you can possibly get with these two starting. But that's why I, I think it's important that Goga gets minutes to see what they have. But I really just think Goga getting minutes is, is Goga earning them himself. I think that's the bottom line. Carlisle wouldn't play Goga if he didn't deserve the minutes. That's the kind of coach he is. You know, Torrey Craig has a career night, doesn't play, like, I guess, great versus the Raptors, and he doesn't like his matchup with them for some reason and, and plays him like eight minutes, like you said. So I think that Goga has earned the minutes, but at the same time, um, Rick's just trying to find anything right now. That'll work because this team's been so pitiful so far. He really is. He's experimenting. He said he had to tinker with some lineups. Um, I, I think it's just when you, you're, when you tinker with some lineups, you think it would be a little bit different than what it is instead of like 
Goku's going to play 10 minutes instead of two. Um, most of them, I feel like, is coming at the end of the game. But I think it's still about just trying to give some guys some opportunities. Like, you know, like um, O'Shea, not O'Shea, but said, Torrey Craig, when he went from barely not playing to all of a sudden he had the hot hand yeah. uh, the other night against Brooklyn, and they rolled with it. And he ended up playing 30-plus minutes, dropped 28 points, and that was great. Um, however, the next game, just eight minutes. So, you know, it, it, Brad Wanamaker's gotten an opportunity, and I think now we've probably seen enough. So it's like <laughs> at least he got in there. Dejan Giroux finally and Dwayne Washington at least finally got to get in a game uh, against Brooklyn the other night. So, you know, it was cool. I mean, not really anything you can judge on playing time that each log basically one or two minutes. But, um, you know, he's still messing around. Goga's someone who needed to at least be out on the court. Yeah, I will say this. I think after that Raptors blowout loss on Wednesday, we have seen a more energetic and competitive Pacers team in the last two games. I mean, clearly the tone they set on Friday night was huge. I mean, you were sniffing out a win on on Thursday's podcast, and I was laughing at you, but they almost pulled it off. Yeah, And that's the thing. I mean, look, let's be honest. The Pacers were up at one point a a sizable lead in the first half. 16 points. 16 16. points. They were up 16 Tui Craig was on fire. And then, look, I'm, we're not going to go into it because it's a whole story for another day. If Kevin Durant gets ejected in that game, it's a different game. Yeah. It's a different game. The Pacers lost by seven, and that's with Kevin Durant in there. Uh, that was in the third quarter. So it's just like things could have been different. He should have been ejected, whatever. They were in, in that game against Brooklyn, and then they were in this game against Toronto. They battled back. Yeah. So it's like it, it's hard to be like we absolutely stink, but no, we can't close. That's what it is. Yeah, and Toronto is one of the tougher teams to play on a back-to-back because of their, you know, their athleticism, their their scrappiness. I mean, if you look at Brooklyn, they're more of a skilled team. They're more of a veteran-proven yep. team, a championship-level team. And I joked on Friday night's podcast with my friend David. I said, hey, I said the Pacers almost beat the Nets. So if uh, we're trying to be a tough out, then it was pretty much uh, summed it up right there because we were a tough mm-hmm. out for them. We didn't win, but we were a tough we were. out. <laughs> But uh, last question here, this comes from Kuma31. He said, will having a sub-500 record and or missing a play-in game cause front office changes? And then he said, fingers crossed twice. I hope it does. Oh, man. Uh, I I can't guarantee it. It depends how sub-500. If the Pacers are just absolutely horrible, then, yeah, I mean, I think changes have to happen. If If it ends up being that, unfortunately, if, like, TJ Warren doesn't really play much, and so do some of the other starters. And we missed the playing game by a game or so. And then you could sell yourself on, hey, if the team had been healthy, you know, maybe one more shot. But if this team falls flat on its face and is just, you know, I'm talking like 15 games, whatever it is, I mean, you're well out of it. How do you not make a change? And it's not going to be at head coach. Yeah. I mean, I think they would tinker with the roster before they change the front office. I think that if you – I've brought this up several times, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but look at Herb Simon and the way that he's gone about running his front office. He doesn't make a lot of changes. Uh, Donnie Walsh was there for years. He stepped down. Larry Bird took over. Larry Bird was there for years. He stepped down. Kevin Pritchard took over. So it, it's always been uh, when a guy steps away, that's when a change is made, not because of a firing. I've never seen – where the president gets fired. We've seen GMs get fired, like Maury got fired um, before they brought in Kevin Pritchard. So there's been those kind of moves, but it's never been where Herbie has fired a guy. So this is where I think um, I would expect 
Kevin Pritchard steps down before he gets fired. Yes, yes, so would I. If that's the case, yeah. I, I would. Yeah, I mean, even if they miss the playing game, miss the playoffs, like, yeah, it sucks. It really is frustrating. I get it. But I, I think they would look at their roster in the offseason, try to make some bigger changes, not run it back like we think before they fired Kevin and maybe got rid of Chad Buchanan. I, I, I think that the more likely thing to happen is – Kevin steps down, Chad gets promoted, and it's kind of a comfort for Herb Simon, who's also getting older, right? He doesn't want to have to deal with all these changes and meeting new guys and girls or whoever that they put in that position. But he likes, clearly likes Kevin Pritchard. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Kevin does a good job uh, of running the team like Herb wants it. Um it's my speculation. Nothing Kevin's told me. I know people think that we have a close camera, uh relationship. We really don't. Um, we talk here and there every once in a while. But my speculation is Kevin would like to run this team a little bit differently because he talked about not being on that treadmill of mediocrity. And we need to figure out which way we're going to go. I think that he would rather rebuild or, you know, make some bigger trades. But everything has to be signed off by Herb Simon. If you've ever heard him talk about trades they've made, well, Herb said do this. Well, Herb said do that. So I'm reading the tea leaves. I think that this is more of a Herb Simon is got to get the final say on everything that happens. And I think that could be why uh, you're not seeing as much of an aggressive move uh, like we saw with Pritchard in Portland. Yeah, I, I think that we need to wait and see how this season shakes out before we start saying who's getting fired or not. But the one thing that I'll say is that we've gone through enough head coaches Rick's job, I think, is safe no matter what happens. And if yeah. there was going to be a front office change, I completely agree to you know your answer of it would be someone stepping down. I think that's how the Pacers would operate. Yeah, absolutely, Flatchy. So last thing here before we wrap up, I uh, I wanted to read this quote that I shared on Twitter from Chris Duarte and Steve Ashburner's article for NBA.com, and it was it was just fantastic. I love this from Duarte, and uh, I I mean we talked about it a little bit during draft. But uh, during the draft process, but he said that Duarte got mad and said, hey, man, I don't want to hear nothing about my age anymore. If you want to win games, get me. If you want to win in four years, go ahead and draft a 19-year-old kid. Uh, I love the confidence from Chris Duarte. I love the competitiveness from this kid. He was so ticked off in that Brooklyn game when they lost. So I think we, we're seeing a mature player, obviously. But I just love that he is so sick and tired of hearing about the age stuff. Uh, he doesn't care. He wants to win basketball games. And I think once fully healthy or I hate saying that, but once we get some of our other pieces back and he can take a lesser role and still be impactful, you're going to see why he can, you know, why he is so important to this team. Of course, you got to love the chip on the shoulder. And, and it's true. I mean, it, it's it's got to be so annoying. That's always going to be the thing. Chris Dorton is going to score basketball. He's a 24-year-old rookie. It's like when Mo Alley-Cox comes in the game and they're like, former basketball player. They're going to say that forever. It's like it's always going to be the thing. And Duarte is like, get some new material, like move on from it. Yeah, I'm 24 years old. I'm ready to go right now. Moses Moody right now, for example, basically a guy when he's saying, if you want to draft 18, 19-year-old, Moody has eight points scored on the year. He's averaging two points per game. Oh, he could easily be a good player. Chris Duarte is a good player right now. So it's like, and I love it. I can't even imagine where the Pacers would be without him this year. So love the confidence. He has every right to say that. And I know there's a ton of other teams that wish they took him before the Pacers did at 13. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when the Brooklyn Nets are putting Kevin Durant on to start the game out with, uh, and then they put in Javon Carter to just ride him, you know, 
like he did, I, I think that it shows how much he's re- how much respect he's earned from so many of these opposing teams already in, in just a matter of, you know, what's it been, 10 days since the season started. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what we're seeing from Duarte Fachi, but we've talked a lot. You guys have made it all the way to this point. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, again, I apologize for my voice. Hopefully Tuesday night when we record, this voice is stronger than what it is now. But uh, we got through it, Fachi. Uh, where can people find us at on social media? All right. You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And you can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. All right, Fachi. If you are hoping the Pacers get their second win of the season against the San Antonio Spurs, you got to say these three words. Let's go, Pacers. Oh, we have some smother chicken on that one. Smother chicken. Uh, I'm sorry. Take off. Bye. See you. Very nice. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.